want to encourage you. We've, we've, um, we prayed for people last week, and I was telling you last week that as we were praying, I was telling you that um, this quote had just sunk into my mind. There's a book by, there's a guy named uh, Mark Batterson. He's written a, a book about prayer, a recent book about prayer. And in it, he talks about, he just says, 100% of the prayers you don't pray will not get answered. And it just, I can't get that out of my mind. We are going to pray tonight after the service, after we preach and all that. We're going to invite you to come and receive prayer if you're interested in prayer or need prayer. And uh, while I'm thinking about it right now, just wanted you to remember Tim Davis. I know some of you know him, some of you don't, but he's home with the flu. Frida is home with the flu. So we just want to pray for them. Let's pray for them right quick, just right now. God, we just lift up Tim and Frida both, that you would heal their bodies, raise them completely up, that they would be completely whole. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. It's good to see you all here tonight. We were going to have some of our missionettes were going to come in and do a human video for us tonight. I was looking forward to that. My daughter's in that group that's going to do it. I was excited for them to do it, and, that, and I don't know what happened. They didn't do it. I went out to see where they were at because I was concerned, like, I don't see them in here yet, and um, that's because they're not doing it tonight. So just beware that at some point in the next few weeks, we're going to definitely have them come and, and uh, share some of their ministry gifts with us. I, always, I, I enjoy different kinds of ministries. I personally don't think I would be good at that or want to be involved in that personally, but I'm really ministered to by that and by other people in their ministries. Well, as by way of review, we are talking about the fact that we are not much different than the Corinthians were. And the church that Paul planted in Corinth it has a lot of similar issues to our issues. The fact is that those people in Corinth were new Christians, a lot of them. They had come out of, out of lifestyles that were very, very different than what we think of as church and Christian. And it's so easy sometimes for us to glamorize the past, even our own past. You know, you think about times in your own personal past where maybe you were closer to the Lord or the church was different in some way or another, but... These churches that we see described in the, in the New Testament, they were not perfect, just as we are not perfect. They were full of normal people, just like we're normal, and we bring our baggage, and we bring our faults, and we bring our shortcomings, we bring our issues, and this church had its share of issues. One of the issues that we're going to look at tonight, Paul discusses, and I was trying to talk with my wife about this chapter in Corinthians, and it's not something that you can easily just discuss. You really need to read it. Sometimes, Paul, Paul is an interesting character. You know, the Apostle Paul was an interesting guy. Some of the, he's got the longest sentences actually in the Bible. I don't know if you realize that. <laughs> There's times where his sentences will go for two verses and with no period. That's how he thought. That's how he, he formulated sentences. But he did not do that with the Corinthians. And we'll look at that tonight, exactly what he did. By way of review, however, let's take a look at, for some reason I'm not, connected now. I was a second ago. Anyway, we'll take for a second and look at what the Greeks valued. We know that the Greeks, they looked at Christianity, especially early Christianity. They were not impressed. They were not impressed because they were more impressed with great speakers. I like good speakers. Do you like, we all like good speakers, don't we? I mean, there's people we listen to just because they're entertaining to listen to. It's not necessarily that the content's all that deep, but we like it. We like how it's delivered. I mean, that's normal. But the Greeks had a way of doing that that was a little more advanced. They were obviously were, they're famous for their philosophy and Western philosophy. A lot of the way we think in the Western world is derived from Greek philosophy. They were very sophisticated. They appreciated that. They appreciated education. 
And Jesus didn't come with all those things. He came in a far simpler manner. And when, when Paul preached the cross, it sounded like foolishness to them. In fact, he talks about the cross being foolishness, and, and that's, that's really a double meaning there. Not only is he talking about the cross itself being foolish, but the Greeks also thought it was foolish that we celebrated a shameful instrument of death. You maybe heard this before, but you know we, we wear crosses a lot of times as jewelry. People tattoo them on their bodies to say, hey, I'm a proud Christian. And yet we wouldn't do the same thing with a guillotine or an electric chair or anything like that. And in that time, the cross was not a beautiful symbol. It was a horrible symbol. In fact, it was a death that was usually reserved for robbers and murderers and thieves. Someone like Christ should have never been killed that way. In fact, they weren't, Roman citizens weren't even allowed to be killed that way. But Jesus was. So for the Greeks, they looked at that and they looked at Christians revering and honoring the cross as something silly. And then the Jews, you know, we're very familiar with the way that the Jews, the Jews looked at things. The Jews, they always wanted signs. You know, they grew up with the manna, the stories about the manna. They celebrated all those things, always looking for Elijah, the second coming of Elijah and miracles. They wanted to see the, the Roman occupation ended. They wanted to see the persecution and the foreigners in their land. They wanted to see that all, all of that ended. So when Paul was talking to Jews, a lot of times the stumbling block for them was the fact that they just wanted more signs. We're no different. We talked about this last week. At times we're ashamed of the way the gospel sounds because maybe it doesn't sound as sophisticated as maybe some of our friends. I've known really good Christians who are willing to throw away huge chunks of what they believed in Christianity just so that their friends thought they were still smart. Maybe they went to college and sat in a chemistry class or a biology class and they heard something that challenged them and they respected the teacher. How many of us know that teachers have amazing power, especially over young people whose minds are still forming and you want to believe your teachers and teachers come with an agenda. Everybody's preaching a sermon I know that's what I'm officially doing right now, but you hear sermons all day long. You hear sermons in every song. You hear sermons from every teacher, everybody on the radio, everybody on TV. Everybody's preaching something. Got to filter it and find out what that is. Sometimes uh, we're maybe unimpressed with what we've seen in Christianity or maybe our own faith. Sometimes we have short memories about what God has personally done for us. And then we get hit with a crisis and we're knocked out right our feet are knocked right out from under us, and we think, look at each other, and we think, man, what is going on? I can't believe this is happening, and then someone might remind you, but remember last time? Remember how you cried out, and he was there? Or maybe a friend of yours shares a story of healing in their life, or some way that God pulled them through, and that encourages your faith, and then you remember, oh yeah, he's done things for me too, I just forgot. We have short memories. We do the same thing. We're not a lot different than them. Sadly, what Paul is going to deal with in this portion of Scripture here is something, again, we struggle with just like the Corinthians. I think a lot of us fall into the trap of thinking we're smarter than God, or at least as smart, pretty clever. And this is not new. This is not new. We didn't, we didn't, think, we didn't invent this. But a lot of people, they get life or they get their fulfillment or they feel important from knowledge, from knowing things. And it's not just guys, but I know us guys, we kind of do this more than women, maybe. But, but we just kind of, we want to be right. And we want to hold that over people and, and have some kind of a intellectual, emotional power over people because we know something. It's sad, but it goes way back to the garden. Think about how the enemy tempted Eve. 
One of the things that he tempted her with was, was the idea that God didn't want the best for her. But the other thing he said is, God doesn't want you to have this knowledge. This one tree was supposed to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you just eat of it, basically what he was saying is, you'll be just like God, as smart as God. Tower of Babel, that's part of what that was about. That mankind said, we're going to reach heavens and we'll proclaim our independence and our strength and our being above him. It's sad because there's a lot of ways. You know, we want to be smart and there's a lot of different kinds of smart. Maybe you, like me, there's been times in your life where you're in a situation and you thought, man, that guy is smart. Or that girl, I wish I could think like that. Or you hear somebody say something or maybe you're in a class or maybe... I've heard this, you know, from people all my life, you know, oh, I'm not good at math, I'm not good at taking tests, or anybody relate to any of those things? There's so many ways to be smart, you know? Some of us do this, and, and every, seems like every discipline, whether it's psychology or the medical field, how many of you have ever had a surgery or had some kind of a medical procedure, and then all of a sudden you've learned new words that you never knew before? And now when you're explaining it to people, you get stuck using those words because it's just you learned it and it makes sense to use it. But then in a way, those languages, sometimes those words divide us, but it helps us feel smarter, doesn't it? We do the same thing. And did you know preachers, do, we do the same thing? We've got our words. Let me, I just thought I'd show you a few just so you'd be entertained by how petty we can be. Because we have our smart words too, like eschatology. All it is is the end times. <laughs> Could just say that, but we say eschatology. How about, um, I don't know why it's not popping up there, but how about soteriology, which is sin, the study of sin. Harmartiology, again, the study of sin. Uh, pneumatology, the Holy Spirit. Christology, uh, as ecclesiology, the study of the church. Aren't these, are you impressed with us? <laughs> yeah, silly, I know. But it gets better. Exegesis, that's that, what that means is letting the Bible speak for itself, let, drawing out of Scripture what's actually in Scripture. Hermeneutics, the way to interpret the Scriptures. Uh, this, is a, this is the best one. The hypostatic union. We talk about that all the time, right? How Christ, <laughs> how Christ was God and man at the same time. And wh- why don't we just say that? Instead, we use these words that, in a sense, separate us from other people and make us feel smart or something. But intelligence, everybody's intelligent but we're intelligent in different ways have you noticed that and it seems like sometimes and this is just the way life is but sometimes maybe our school system gives an advantage to one type of intelligence over another but the reason i'm mentioning this today is because this is part of the problem that paul was dealing with in corinth that these people were elevating one type of way of being smart and they thought that they were smarter than all this look look at some of the things we are some people are smart about natural things they can just see how the world works and observation some people have interpersonal abilities they're just smart in the way that people relate to each other some people have spatial intelligence have you heard of that where they're really good at just fitting things together maybe you know a carpenter or somebody that just throws it together i'm always amazed i used to work for you know i worked for a carpenter and electrician different people and just watch them work it's just it's it's like poetry in motion they just they get it it's just amazing sometimes how that stuff works I'm going to skip through some of those since they're not going up on the screen anyway. But how about right brain, left brain? Anybody? Who who would say that you're more left brain? You know what I'm talking about. There's more of you than that. Anybody right brain? Here's what we mean. We talk about the left brain, right brain. You know, some people are tend to be a little bit more creative than others, or some people are more logical than others, and all those things are important, but they're just different. Well, here's the problem. You see, in the church. 
a lot of times what happened is, well, let's read it. If you have your scriptures, because I don't think it's going to be on the screen, it says, when I, if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters, I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plan. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain. Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied only on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. Basically, what Paul is saying is he tailored his message directly to his audience. Now, why would he do that there? He did that there for some very, very, very good reasons. He had believers and unbelievers. There's times he tailored his message to the Greeks who were enamored, remember I said, with fancy talking. He didn't want them to rely on that or be convinced by that. What he wanted them to be convinced by was Christ alone. Nothing fancy, none of these words. You have mature and immature. Paul, Paul did this all the time. And you're familiar with this. You remember the story in Acts 17 where he goes to speak and then the Greeks hear him talking and they say, we don't understand what you're saying. You need to come to the Ariakabas. Ariag, say it, Pastor. Okay. And what that was was the Greek in the Greek forum for them to be able to hear him officially put out a new philosophy and way of thinking. And when he did that, what he did was as he was walking through, he first complimented them. Do you remember this? And what he said is, I saw you had a statue to the unknown God. I'm here to tell. And he said, I know you're very religious. And that made them all. Thank you. And then he said, I'm here to tell you about that God. And that's what he did. He was clever that way. In another case, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, Nine, he says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became a Jew to win the Jews. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I love that. You know what I like about it? I like it for two, well, a lot of reasons, but one reason is this. It means that, that I can be me and you can be you. However God made you, he intended for there's people for you to reach that only you could reach. I can't reach everybody. You can't reach everybody. But God uses us in our, in our unique ways to reach people. I love that. I love that. He values how he made you, and he values those people who are waiting to hear from you. Paul did it. He, he tailored everything to whoever it was that he was speaking to. Paul, in the scripture, it mentioned that he intentionally avoided fancy speaking, and he spoke plainly and just Christ. Now, he could have come in and competed with the Greek philosophers, but he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to do that because he didn't want them to think that that's where the power of God was, is in the way somebody was speaking. He did, he did kind of a, it's a, it's a really useful witnessing strategy, and I want to explain it to you for a second. It goes like this. It's kind of the three A's. You can think of it as triple A. Admire, ask, and admit. Here's what he would do. He would admire the things he could admire about their belief system. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. With everybody you're talking to, there, there's at least something that you can admire. 
Maybe the way that they appreciate family, maybe the generosity, something. You can notice something about it. And as you compliment and admire that thing, what that does is it ingratiates you to the person and they realize you care about them. You know who they are. Then you can ask genuine questions. Ask questions that show that you're interested, plus it gives you information. I don't think anybody really appreciates somebody trying to be an expert in their religion. You know, somebody comes up to me and says, oh, you Christians, you this, this, and this. My first reaction is to say, you don't really know. You're not one of me. You don't know. Let me explain how it really is. So it works a lot better if you just start asking questions. It's a great, great thing. Then turn it. Then start to turn it and admit that you are in need of Jesus. Jesus. He's the one we point to. He's the one. Can I show you an example? Years ago, I, was, uh, I took a group of students to Mexico. It was the first time we actually had gone to Mexico. And in Baja, being from Southern California, Baja, uh, like Tijuana and Baja, is an interesting place because there are, there are indigenous people there, but most of the people have come in from outside of there. And what happened was a lot of the fields and the just huge acreage of fields were owned by these huge companies, and they couldn't get people to work them. There just isn't the population down there. So they were importing people from down in Oaxaca, Mexico. Oaxaca is way down by, by Central America. It's on the southernmost part of Mexico. So these are small Indian people, usually rounder, small Indian people. It's really easy to spot them when you're in Baja. And then what they would do is bring these people literally on trucks and then kind of dump them off in these fields, and they would work there and... They, would live, they were living in cardboard homes. They were living sometimes in, you know, if they were wealthy, they would have like maybe a few cinder blocks or something. And what we would do is we would take these uh, records. What we do is we walk up to the people in the fields and we would show them a map of Oaxaca and we'd say, where are you from in Oaxaca? And then they would point to it. And then we would, we would take that number and we would line it up with a certain record like this. Is this showing my age again with records? (laughs) And then what we would do is pull out this record player made of cardboard and put it on there right in front of them and then take a pen or pencil or whatever we had. I can't remember. Do you start on the inside or outside? (laughs) Just kidding. Again, this is how it works. That's all it would take? That long? And some of these people would just break into tears. Because what we were doing was we were lining that up with their dialect, whatever that was. You see, what they thought was, they thought Christianity was a Mexican religion. Because they spoke a whole different language. Mistec, I mean, there's a lot of languages in that part of Mexico. And Spanish is their second language. So they figured that this Christianity thing wasn't, wasn't really for them, it was for the Mexicans. And so when you started playing this in their dialect... And what these little records were is we would, have, we would give them this with three little records. And, you know, it has an A and a B side. And it would give the whole plan of salvation in this dialogue way. And these people would get saved because they would hear, the, the, they would hear the, the, the truth of the gospel in their own language for the first time. 
It was an amazing tool, amazing tool. Now, later on, we did use cassettes, but they weren't as fascinating as these cardboard record players. But um, here's the thing. When you share your faith with somebody, you're going to do it differently for whoever you're talking to. And that's exactly what Paul did, and it's exactly what they did, what he's telling the Corinthians. And what he's telling us here is that he shared his faith in unique ways and fitted it to whoever the listeners were because he wanted them to hear it in the best way possible. We can do the same thing, and we should do the same thing. There are going to be people that you're going to run into that, that argument is not going to work. In fact, probably no talking is going to work. The only thing that's going to work is you loving them and consistently being for them, being there for them day after day, crisis after crisis, problem after problem. And then one day they're going to look and they're going to realize, wow, they have something different. I want to know what it is. And then you'll be ready. But it's going to be different for everybody. Some people are ready for you to ask questions and challenge their faith and ask them how they know this is true. Some people are ready for that, but not everybody. You just need to fit it to whoever it is that you're talking to. And whatever you do, keep it based, just like Paul did, on Jesus. Let's, let's continue reading on for just a moment. Yet when I am among mature believers, I do speak with words of wisdom, but, do not, but not the kind of wisdom that belongs to this world or to the rulers of this world who are soon forgotten. No, the wisdom we speak of is the mystery of God. His plan that was previously hidden, even though he made it for our ultimate glory before the world began. But the rulers of this world have not understood it. If they had, they would have not crucified our glorious Lord. This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, nor ear has heard, or no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. This mystery of God. You hear the mystery of God and you think, hmm, mystery of God. What is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about grace. How many think you could teach someone about grace? I mean, how would you do it? It would be different for whoever you were talking to, wouldn't it? Some people you would tell them your personal story and that's what they would need to hear. Some people you could take to scripture and show them. Some people just need a definition and you just need to lay out the gospel. It really is different for every person. But here's the beauty of it. When we're talking about grace, grace is something you could talk about from now till eternity. It is such a deep concept. Paul describes it as a mystery. And I think we make a mistake if if in our Christian walk we think, oh, I've arrived and I totally get this. You know why? Because his mercies are new every morning. The grace that we need comes over and over, day after day, mistake after mistake. There are times when you think, you're never coming back. And that it's too late. God, I've made too many mistakes. And it's over for me. But the truth is, Christmas shows us that that's not true. That there's a God who loved us enough to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's exactly what that word means. He came to be with us. That's what he wanted to do is walk with you through each of these issues and problems of life. What amazes me about this is us as humans, there's times where we think we've got it figured out and we understand it all. And that's what the problem the Corinthians were having. And yet scripture tells us that even the prophets and angels are amazed by this concept. Look, look with me, if you would, to 1 Peter. 
This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And sometimes I just look at myself and I think, who do you think you are? When angels don't understand fully, they've been watching history unfold. Think about how much they've seen. They've watched our lives and they wonder, I'm sure they're wondering, why would you bother with these people? Especially him. What do you, why? I'm sure they look at God and they think, why do you love them so much? Why do you forgive them over and over again? What, why? What is it about them that you care so much? What does God say to them? He says, they're the beloved, my beloved, the apple of my eye. They're on my mind in the morning, in the, in the evening. He knows our comings and our going. Psalm 139 says, you cannot go anywhere from his presence. If you go to the heavens, he's there. In the depths, he's there. Everywhere you go, he's there and he knows and he cares. None of that changes, ever. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10, says the Spirit searches all things even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments, for who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's a lot to say, isn't it? Explaining spiritual realities with spirit-taught words. Here's something I want you to grasp. Maybe you're more one of those left-brained people, which is more logical. And you tend to think in terms of linear thought and things have to line up. You may struggle with this concept. But the truth is, this is a spiritual thing. We are involved in a mysterious spiritual thing. Now, I often, I'm one of those people, I think, And I often relate those kind of things to weird things like in a movie or cults or weirdness. But the fact is, Christianity is a mystery. How God works in us is a mystery. It doesn't make sense. I want it all line up and I want to be able to do this and that. And I want a formula that if I push the right buttons in the right order, then I'm good. But that's not how it works. How it works is there are spiritual realities taught us with spiritual words. Where are those spiritual words? They're, they're in the scripture. They're in the book. Did you know that reading his word will change your life? That is a spiritual thing. I'm not saying that if you read a verse a day, then you'll be this much better. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that as you read it and immerse yourself in who he is, it changes your life. It changes the way you think. It changes. It literally will change the neural pathways in your brain. Did you know your brain works in certain pathways? 
Now, we don't know a lot about the brain. As much as we've studied the human body, the brain is still more of a mystery than other parts of the body. But we do know this, that certain people who do certain things repetitively, they have certain neural pathways that have been burned in through their brain. The thought patterns, the electrical impulses go certain ways. We know that. We know, for instance, that a tennis player can watch a ball coming at him over 100 miles an hour and then still line it up and hit it accurately. We know that. And the more they do it, the more the neural pathways follow the same path and they get better at it. We know that. I was just reading an article this week on pornography, on the dangers of pornography. And study after study has shown that men who look at pornography on a regular basis develop specific neural pathways that not only are they embedded deeper and deeper into the lining of the brain, but then once, if, if they try to stop, that there's almost a chemical reaction that needs to be replaced, that that neural pathway that's been burrowed out there needs fulfilled. It's how we're made. Now, I've given you positive, negative examples. Think about what happens in our minds when we're reading the spiritual taught words, these spiritual realities. God set us up this way for a reason that if we spend time with him, the more time you spend, the more you're going to be like him. And you know it's true. It's not even, it's not even deep logic. I mean, you know people who've been together a long time and finished each other's sentences, right? You know how that is. You know, husbands and wives who've been around each other for a long time don't even have to know their reaction. They can order for them, get the right drink. You know what they think. You know where they're going to go. I can, in my house, I know my wife's, I know who's walking around my house. I can hear it. I know who it is just by the way they walk. A lot of times Nicole and I will be up early and then, and we'll hear the kids maybe on a Saturday morning coming down and we can tell you which one it is. You know these things. It's not deep. It's not clever. We have the mind of Christ. Scripture talks about the mind of Christ, and it's this thing. Time with him is relationship. Relationship is about time. It's about being with him. It's about spending time with him. Just like the one you love or people you want, you want to hang out with and be with. And then the more you're with them, the more you'll be like him. The way you think, the things you think, the, the words you say, your reactions. When I read about his compassion for the lost, I know that I don't have that the way I should. And if I spent more time with him, then I would react more like him than like me. Man, I want people to see Jesus when they see me. I want them to know that I've been around him so much that he's rubbed off on me that way. Do you bathe in his presence? Do you just let him soak all around you and the fragrance be all on you? Do you spend time in worship? Or at least maybe worship music? I had a good friend. He was really angry. And there were things going wrong in his life. He had good reason to be angry. I mean, it seemed like everything was going wrong and it wasn't fair. And, you know, we talked about it in logical terms and how it, these bad things happen to everybody and you're not special and on and on. But he was still angry. And he, he called me, uh, this has been a year ago, but he called me and he just said, hey, I tried something. I, I don't know why I thought of it, but he was listening to real angry music. You know what I'm talking about? Everything he had on in his car was angry all the time. And he thought, 
maybe if I change that. So he did something that he said he would never do, and he set his radio to K-Love, and he left it on K-Love. And he said, at first, I hated it because I wanted something with more drive, more beat. I wanted it louder. And he said, it took, he said, it took me like four days before I realized that I started being calmer in the car. And what was happening was he was just letting those words flow over him, those words of life instead of words of death, just different music. If you immerse yourself in the word, now, I know we've talked about Bible apps and computer programs, and it doesn't matter if you're listening to a CD or a cassette tape or a record, if they make records of the Bible, but if you immerse yourself in his word over and over and over, it will change you. It's a spiritual thing. It's a mystery. Like I said, it's not a formula. It's a mystery. It's God, the God of the universe, doing a spiritual work in you, the person he created, a spiritual being, and he's, he does this. Wow. I think, about, I think about how many times that, uh, how many times have you been in a conversation with somebody? Maybe this hasn't happened to you, and if it hasn't, I hope me talking about it makes you hungry for it. But there have been times where I've talked to somebody, or better, when I've overheard people talking about a spiritual experience they've had, and I've yearned and hungered for what they experienced. And it's almost like I'm probably annoying them, getting closer, thinking, if I could just get a little closer, maybe some of what they experienced, that would rub off on me. Wow. Let's think about this for a minute. The scripture also said that we are spiritual, and because of that, we make spiritual judgments. Spiritual judgments. It's almost like we're afraid to say that, aren't we? Because we're not supposed to judge, right? Actually, you are supposed to judge. And Scripture plainly says that these are spiritual judgments. But let me caution you. You cannot make spiritual judgments if you are not spiritual. If you haven't spent time in His Word and spent time with Him and let Him reorder your neural pathways and the way you think, then you're not equipped to make spiritual judgments. On the other hand, you could be. There are people, and we all know who they are in your own life. I know that there are people you go to for spiritual judgments, aren't there? If I had to say to you right now, boy, we need to figure this out. We need to go find somebody. Who would you go to? I know you have somebody who came to mind for you. Maybe it's a grandma. Maybe it's a pastor. Maybe it's someone you know in your family or your life. But, but this scripture wasn't written just to those spiritual people. It was written to the Corinthians. Remember who they were? They were the ones where the guy was sleeping with his stepmom. They were the ones who were fighting over communion, some getting drunk, some overeating, and so there wasn't any left for anybody else. That's who the Corinthians were. They were the ones suing each other. Those were the Corinthians. So don't think that this is just for spiritual people. These are for real people, crown point people, spiritual judgments. You may be sitting here and think, I'm not qualified or equipped to make those. If you are not, then you need to be. We all should be. We should all be in relationship with him to the degree that we are qualified for that. (laughs) Maturity. Here's what happens when you spend time with him like this. He matures you. Now we use other very spiritual words for that. Sanctification, becoming holy. You You can use all those words is fine. In this portion of scripture, he talks about being mature. And he says to these Corinthians... 
if you were mature, I would speak to you in different ways, more philosophical ways, more spiritual ways. The beauty of this, this mystery, this spiritual thing that happens, he literally matures us. He grows us up in our spirit. In our spirit person, he grows us up. I wonder what that's like to be really spiritual mature. How would it be different than how you are now? What things would you be thinking about or striving for? What would you be praying for? How would you be praying if you were really more spiritual mature than you are now? If you were a church father or a church mother right now, what would that be like compared to how you are now? I was really challenged as I was digging into this and seeing what we should be in Christ and what Paul expected from those Corinthians who were no better than us. None. They they were on the same level as we are. In fact, we're probably way better off than them. Probably most of us have been in church so many more years, and these poor people have only been Christians for just a few years and surrounded by paganism, paganism that we can't even imagine. I mean, we, we try to replay it in movies and such, but I'm sure we don't get it right. These people left everything to follow Christ. Amazing. <clears throat> Crown Point Corinthians. That is you. I want you to shut your eyes for a moment. This is not the altar call, actually. This is just a point where I want you to think for a minute. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is being moderate in your actions and attitudes and words and... That is maturity in Christ. That is the goal. That's the standard that Paul sets down for for maturity. In this quietness, kind of even being alone in this, this big room with all these people, with your eyes shut, sometimes we can just be alone for a moment. What I'd like is for you to just honestly talk to God for a moment and ask him, God, how am I measuring up? What, what should I be or do differently? Where, where do I need to mature? Is it one of those gifts? I mean, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Holy Spirit, speak to us for a moment. I'm just going to let it be silent for a moment and allow God to minister and speak to you Show us, Lord. Convict us. Show us where you want to change us, where you want to grow us. What do you want to do in us? How do you want us to be different? If you would please stand with me, kind of keep your eyes closed still and your head bowed.
with your eyes still closed, my question's for you. Do you know him? I mean, really know him. Do you know his ways? Do you know his attitudes? Do you... Have you spent enough time with him that, that you act and think and react like him? When's the last time that you spent time with him and just, just let his presence wash over you and cleanse you and maybe even relax you and take away the tension and the strain? And When's the last time that he whispered in your ear that he knows where you are and what you're experiencing? Maybe he's saying to you tonight, child, I love you just how you are. I made you this way. Maybe tonight you need to spend some time with him. And as Nick leads us in some worship, you can just let his presence heal some things in your heart.